All right, Genesis 4, 1 through 16. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that today, if we hear your voice, we will not harden our hearts. But we will take heed to your word. Lord, we will let your word speak into us. Lord, that that we will recognize that your blood speaks a better word. We will let your blood, the blood of the resurrected King, speak over us this morning as we look at this story. Lord, I love you, and I ask you to move today in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as we look at this, like we said with the road to Emmaus, Jesus for seven miles kind of walks through the Old Testament, so we're going to take most of the rest of this year with a couple of breaks uh, on some other things to just select uh, some stories out of the Old Testament and kind of look and see how, how these stories point to the power of the resurrected king. And, and here's why that's significant. Here, I love starting with this story. So we can, we can recap kind of, we're going to, I mean, this is going to be a, like a super fast survey through the Old Testament as we go through this through the year. Uh, to the rest of this year, but so so we'll very quickly summarize some things. So just coming up to the story of Cain and Abel, what's been happening? Well, 
we, we, you go to the creation story, Genesis 1 through 3. We're in Genesis 4 today. So Genesis 1 through 3 is the story of the creation and the fall. So God created the earth. He created uh, the earth in seven days. On the seventh day, he rested. He's got Adam and he's got Eve. Adam means mankind. Eve means living and, and breath. And, and, and it means the, the breath of life and, and of woman and out of man and all these things. And, and he gives them this command, like, look, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be in your presence. Everything's going to be amazing. He uses this word shalom. Everybody say shalom. That's a key word in the Bible, that, that idea of shalom, that Hebrew word. It means peace, rhythm, man, just everything's just the way it's supposed to be. Everything's in shalom. And they're given one rule, a dietary rule. They're given a don't eat from this one tree, for if you eat from this one tree, you will surely die. And the deceiver comes in, the enemy comes in and, and deceives Eve, and then Eve leads Adam astray. God flips the order of creation. I mean, the, the devil flips the order of creation from the way that God designed it, and creation influences the woman who, who influences the man, and then they blame each other, and it creates this division, and everything's broken. And just like God asked Cain a question that he already knew the answer to, not because God needed to know the answer, but because he wanted them to process it, he says, where are you? And then he finds them, and he goes after them, and it's like God is the first evangelist going after them with the good news. And he finds them naked and ashamed and afraid. All of a sudden, everything about them is exposed. See, when they got the knowledge of good and evil, they got the knowledge of their fallen nature and who they were as everything fell. And they stand before God completely exposed. They attempt to cover themselves with fig leaves and God realizes that really it's going to require bloodshed to adequately cover them. And so he covers them with animal skin and, and he gives them a curse. He tells Adam that from the sweat of your brow will you eat. In other words, he talks to him about as you try to cultivate the earth, as you try to cultivate things, it's going to get difficult. And can we get an amen that things are difficult today? It's difficult to make things happen. You ever try really hard to, to do something and make something happen and then find that, man, it's just difficult it's like nothing's easy, nothing gets where you want it to be. And then he tells the woman there'll be pain in childbirth. And, and, but then he, he gives this interesting promise. He says, but you will have an offspring that will, that will crush the enemy, but his, his heel will be bruised. There's this wounded victor that is prophesied. That, that we see the, the first prophecy of Jesus Christ in this story. This wounded victor will one day defeat the enemy. And so this is what's all happened up to this point. And, and so the reason we're going through this series, I want you to see something significant. That it's, through, it's so significant, it's throughout the whole Bible. W.A. Criswell calls it the scarlet thread of redemption that goes all the way through the Bible. The reason it's important to understand this is all about Jesus is, is we're going to see today that the blood of Jesus, the blood of the resurrected, victorious, wounded victor king, speaks a better word over your life than anything else. Your circumstances right now may not be speaking a very good word over your life. The circumstances in your life right now may be so overwhelming and hopeless that you feel that it almost is 
paralyzing because you don't know what the next step is. Maybe you, you've spoken a word of your identity over yourself through your own work and through your religion like we talked about in Bible study groups this morning and, and out of your obligation of religion and, and you, you are going to be the right person, the good person. You're going to do it right and you found your identity there and I want you to know that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than religion can ever speak to you. I want you to know that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than what people think about you. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than your darkest thoughts that you have alone and you're scared for anyone to ever know. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. This is what we're going to talk about today. Our main idea is our sin calls for blood. I mean, we've got to recognize that. Our sin calls for blood. But Jesus' blood speaks a better word over us. And so let's dive into this story with Adam and Eve's children, two of them. There are many more that aren't named, but two of them, Cain and Abel. And let's see, one, we are born into sin. God told them that they would surely die, and they didn't die then. They had a spiritual death in a sense but death would come upon them. And we see the first one. This is the first result of that. We see something tragic happen today, and it's death. For the first time, we see the death of one of God's children. Someone created in His image dies for the very first time. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. That name Cain means gotten, like God provided, like she's gotten it. She, she's been given. And, and, and there's there's idea that maybe she's even thinking about that prophecy of one of her offspring that will, that will crush the enemy and his heel will be bruised. And maybe it's already happened. And she's gotten a man-child is the way that it's really worded there, man-child. She's gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel means... Uh, this is for those of you that were here through our series in Ecclesiastes. We talked about in Ecclesiastes this word havel. Everybody say havel. Anybody remember that word from Ecclesiastes? As we walked through Ecclesiastes, that idea of vapor, meaninglessness, vanity, impossible. The, the, really, the key meaning of it was impossible to grasp, like something you can't hold on to. So if Cain is gotten, Abel is this vapor, something you'll never be able to hold on to. And so we see, and again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep. And Cain, a worker of the ground. They were born into sin. And so this story starts out interesting, even though with a little foresight in the name of Abel, of Avel, Havel, it's the name version of that word. And, and we see this idea that it's something that she won't be able to hold on to for forever because sin has entered the world. And so sin begins, one of the things we need to understand is sin begins in our worship. That's really the root of what sin is, is worship. What do you mean? I'm not singing correctly. No, it's nothing to do with style or it really doesn't have anything to do with singing. Worship is, is, is so much more than, than music. Worship is dependence. Worship is, is holding something is with higher value than anything else. And so what sin is, is when we worship Anything or anyone above God. Sin begins in our worship. 
says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of, the, of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard, which literally means looked upon with favor. For He had regard for Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering he had no regard. He did not look upon favorably. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? Why, did, why are you looking downcast. The context here is anger in the midst of worship. See, I think this is the reason we talked in Bible study groups, which if you weren't in a Bible study group this morning, hear me for the 5,000th time tell you, please be in a Bible study group. We, are, we try to be very intentional about our process of your studying the same idea, the same passage in your Bible study group as we're talking about in here. And it's a way of us trying to further disciple you. This is not, we don't care about the numbers. We don't care. This is not about uh, how many people do we have in Bible study group. We're, this is about my preaching is inadequate to disciple you. I need you to get that. Listening to preaching is inadequate. Adequate method if left by itself. And so I want you in a small group where you're discussing this idea. So in, 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 in small group this morning, we talked about uh, this. Do we worship out of obligation? Do we come to church out of obligation? Do we, do we serve out of obligation? Or do we do it out of dependence and faith and hope in Jesus Christ? Where, where is it? Why are we doing it? The, te- the context here is anger amidst worship. And here's what I want you to get is we, we talk a lot here about church revitalization, the church in America, the statistics about church, and that normal's not working. The church in America is dying because we care more about our personal preferences than we do about making disciples that make disciples that impact the world around us. And we talk about revitalizing this church, and I want you to understand that some people have asked, when do we know when we're revitalized? I'll tell you, we're not revitalized based off of a number of people. We're not revitalized based off of a budget. We're not revitalized based off of anything physical that we change. We're revitalized when we see people make disciples that make disciples that impact the world around us. That's what revitalization looks like because that's what the church is called to do. But listen, that doesn't happen through worship attendance. It doesn't happen through religion. It doesn't happen through begrudging obedience. It happens through transformed lives that transform lives. And that happens through a dependence on the blood of Jesus Christ, letting the blood of Jesus speak over you more than you let the world speak over you. And, and when we allow our preferences to dictate our mood, and, and let me catch you here, I'm not just talking about when you come to church, but I'm talking about your circumstances and your life as a whole. Because you're not just called to worship here. You're called, listen, you're called to worship in your job. You're called to worship in your family. You're called to worship in your home. You're called to worship in your recreation. You're called to worship with your money. You're called to worship with the talents God has given you. You're called to worship at all times the creator of the universe. And when we let our preferences determine how we feel about our circumstances we will find ourselves in anger amidst worship. Anger is a fruit of the flesh. Patience, love, joy, 
peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit of somebody that lets the blood of Jesus speak over them and transform them. Anger and frustration and rivalries and divisions and dissensions are all Always, 100% of the time, a fruit of the flesh. It's a fruit of worshiping ourselves rather than worshiping the Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The context here is anger amidst worship. It wasn't Cain's style of worship or, or even, even the nature of his offering itself that God didn't look upon favorably. And it wasn't Abel's style or the content of his offering that God looked upon favorably. It was Abel's faith. It was Abel's dependence. It was, that it was a first fruit of, of, his, of his flock, meaning that he's now, this is the best of what he's got. This, this puts him in a position of dependence upon God. To offer the first fruit positions him to be dependent upon God to provide. How often do you put yourself in a position for God to be the only one that can come through? I think so often we don't see the supernatural come through because we stay in a safe lane, because we stay comfortable, because we insulate ourselves with our own provision rather than laying ourselves fully at the feet of Jesus Christ and trusting fully in Him. Then we will see Him provide in a miraculous way. Conversely, it was Cain's lack of faith that was not pleasing to God. What's interesting is that as we look at it in a minute, God doesn't smite Cain. He doesn't strike him down right then and there for not worshiping correctly, just like he did in Adam and Eve. That even, even in his failure of worship and even in his anger, and, and, and Cain was never repentant, but God protects him. I'm not asking you to depend and lean on a God that demands you follow everything He does or He'll never take care of you. I'm asking you to lean in on a God who loves you in in an immeasurable way, that His grace is incredible, and it's, it's just unbelievable how much He's willing to forgive, how much His blood can wash. You don't have sins so great that the blood of Jesus can't speak a better word over those sins as it washes them away. So whatever it is that you think stands between you and God, I'm going to challenge you today to surrender it completely to Him. Because his blood can do it. God's concern was Cain's heart. It wasn't his offering or his actions. It was his heart. Over and over in the Bible, we see God go after our hearts. David Mathis says, The heart of worship is not music and song, but heads and hearts in joyful awe of the real Jesus, of the resurrected King, of the wounded victor. This is what worship is. The danger is when we let the fruit of the flesh come in, the enemy does not have small desires for us. He wants to destroy you. Sin desires to destroy you. 
That it's, it's, look, sin's desire isn't to distract you. Sin's desire isn't to, to, to make things bad for you. As a matter of fact, sin, honestly, will sometimes make life more comfortable than obedience. But in that comfort, you don't realize you're the frog in boiling water and sin is destroying you piece by piece. It's not sin's desire to just play games with you. Sin wants to destroy you. Sin wants to destroy your marriage. Sin wants to destroy your faith. Sin wants to destroy your identity. Sin wants to destroy your hope. Sin wants to destroy your faith. Sin wants to destroy everything about you. Genesis 4, 7 and 9. God goes after Cain's heart. He sees that Cain's angry. And he knows that that anger will likely lead to death. And so he tells him, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Understand, that accepted means, uh, will your, basically it means, will your face not be lifted back up? Will, will your countenance not come back up? See, because when it talks about the way that Cain felt about everything, he gets all in his feelings about this whole deal and he's frustrated because he put an offering and maybe he feels like he worked more for his offering than his brother. I don't know what's going on there, but, but he's just mad. He's, he's angry. And, and so his face falls is what the Bible says. His countenance falls. And, and Jesus says, look, if you do this right, won't, won't it lift up your countenance? Not won't your life be better, won't you have more produce, won't you produce more fruit in your, in your garden, won't, it, not, not any of those things, not won't your life be perfect moving forward. He just says, listen, if, if, if you do this right in your heart, if your heart is right here, won't it lift your countenance? I want to tell you one of the ways sin destroys you is by robbing your identity and purpose. And when you don't know who you are, and what you're supposed to do when you're so unclear about that, doesn't it make your countenance fall? Don't you struggle? <clears throat> if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted? And if you do not well, do not do well, here's the warning. Sin is crouching at the door. It's desire is for you. But you must rule over it. If you let yourself stay in anger, if you let yourself stay in a robbed identity, if you let yourself continue to worship false idols, including yourself, sin is at the door. And it desires to take you over. But there's hope, but you must rule over it. God wouldn't have told him he could rule over it if that weren't a possibility. If there weren't some opportunity to not let the sin come in and destroy him, God wouldn't have said that. He would have just said, in your anger, sin is going to destroy you. But he doesn't say that. He says, in your anger, sin is at the door. It's ready to pounce. But rule over it. Subdue it. How do you subdue it? Think, go back to what, what made Abel's offering pleasing. It was faith. It was dependence upon God. Go back to that. Go back to faith. 
Jesus is, God is calling Cain to repent. God is calling you to repent. You go, pastor, you don't know what I've done. I've already screwed up so far. It's, it's, it's not fixable anymore. My life's so screwed up. That's not true. Now, sin may be crouching at the door. It may even have its claws in you, destroying you right now. But you know what? You're here. You're here right now. You're sitting. You're listening. Your Bible's open. The Word of God, the blood of Jesus can speak a better word over you today. You must rule over it. You have the opportunity to take your thoughts captive, to turn your heart to God. You don't have to keep letting sin rule over you. In Christ's blood, we are no longer slaves to sin. It no longer has the power to control us. 4.8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Some translations say, he said to his brother, let's go to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. God gave him the opportunity to repent. And he didn't listen. And sin came in and got his claws in him. And so now, in the grand story of the Bible, we see the first death of someone created in the image of God. As he kills his brother. But pay attention to this. In Genesis 3, his parents fall. Adam and Eve fall because the deceiver comes in and the deceiver leads them astray. The deceiver is not in this story. Sometimes we make the devil's job way too easy by choosing to worship ourselves, by choosing to do things the way we want to do them, by hearing the word of God and then hardening our hearts against what he says. The deceiver doesn't come in. On his own, Cain does evil. Evil. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's shepherd? It's the same word that describes Abel earlier in Genesis 4, that he is a keeper of sheep. He was a shepherd of sheep. It's the same word. It's the same idea here. He says, Am, am I... My brother's shepherd. I'm not the shepherd. He's the shepherd that you love so much. I'm just the farmer that works even harder to cultivate stuff out of the ground. And you didn't want my offering. Am I my brother's shepherd? I'm not a shepherd. If you let sin rule you, it will destroy you and those around you. Your sin doesn't only impact you. When, when sin crouches the door and it gets, its, it gets its claws in you, it doesn't just stay with you. It will destroy and hurt people around you as well. But turn to the Word of God. Do this in the context of confession within community with other believers and let the Word expose you like it did Cain. See, when, when God said, Where is your brother Abel? It exposed Cain. Is naked, just like his mom and dad, and just like you. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 says, 
This is why we're so word-centered. I need you to understand this. This is why we, we constantly are going back to what does the Bible say, not, not never what does Jimbo say. Always what does the word of God say. <clears throat> For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word will expose you. You know one of the reasons that we have a hard time getting in the word every day? To be honest, because it exposes us. It's more comfortable to do a five-minute devotional that gives you one verse and then three paragraphs of something somebody wrote than it is to just spend time in God's Word. You know why that is? Because somebody else's words don't cut you to the quick. But the Word of God speaks a better word over you, but it cuts you. Not, but it cuts you like a surgeon. It doesn't cut you like a barbarian. It cuts you like a surgeon, taking the cancers out of you, the cancers of sin. The Word will expose you. And then it says in verse 13, And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is why we talk about being openly broken here. We we need to just be honest about the fact that every single one of us is desperately broken. Every single one of us is in desperate need of the grace of Jesus Christ. There is no one exempt from that. There is no one who has their life together enough that they don't constantly need the grace of Jesus Christ. The reason we want to go through the Old Testament and look at how this all points to the gospel is so often in in church today, we think about the gospel as just the entry point into this religion we call Christianity. It's not the entry point, it's everything. This whole book, the scarlet thread of the redemption of this whole thing is we are a people in desperate need of a savior and God loves us so unbelievably much that he sent his son, that he came down in the form of a baby, vulnerable, lived the life that we were supposed to live but were unable to because of our sinfulness, of our brokenness. And then he died the death that was ours to die. And then he defeated death and he rose from the dead. And his blood speaks a better word over you than your brokenness. But we've got to be honest about our brokenness because whether we're honest about it or not, the Bible says that nobody's hidden. We all stand naked and exposed before God. Peter gives us a a warning of how sin crouches at the door. In 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Resist him, firm in your, everybody say faith, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood around the world. This is why last Sunday night we watched a movie together called Insanity of God. It's about persecution going on all around the world today, right now. It's about persecution that we're, people today are experiencing all across the world. 
And we're doing a study on Wednesday nights about the persecuted church, looking through the word of God and watching clips of that movie as we discuss what does it mean for us to live out our faith and and understand that suffering is a part of life. But with Christ, under the blood of Christ, suffering has a purpose. Outside of it, suffering has no purpose. But in Christ, suffering continues to shape us and make us dependent upon Christ. But be sober-minded, Peter says. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by the brotherhood around the world. In the blood of Jesus, we have the power to resist the devil. Stay firm in your faith and endure suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, as Paul tells Timothy. Abel's blood speaks when he doesn't. What's interesting is in this story, we have no recorded words of Abel. It doesn't mean he never said anything. It just means it's not written down in the story. We don't know anything that Abel ever said. And yet he still speaks. Genesis four ten through 12. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Abel's blood cries out for justice. You know what's wonderful? Jesus' blood doesn't bring justice. It brings grace. Abel's blood cries out for justice, but then the blood of Jesus brings grace. That's really good news. Because what we need to understand is in our brokenness, as we are exposed, naked, and falling short by the word of God, we need to understand that justice, justice would be us on the cross. Justice would be an eternity in hell. Justice would would be eternally separated from the God who loves us. Grace, grace, grace. The blood of Jesus Christ screams grace over your sin. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Even though we never have a recorded word of Abel, his blood due to his righteousness speaks to us that our sin will always call for blood. But Jesus' blood speaks a better word. Genesis four thirteen through 16, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and, fr- and from the ground and not your face. I-, I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. Whoever finds me 
will kill me. And then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Notice that Cain was not repentant of his sin. He was fearful of the consequences. Isn't that true for us so often? It's not so much that we grieve our sin. Think back to the Sermon on the Mount when we preached through the Sermon on the Mount and we studied that. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are bankrupt. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know their open, openly brokenness. Blessed are those who know how desperately they need the grace of Jesus Christ. It ought to grieve you. When you sin against a holy God who loves you so sacrificially and scandalously, it ought to grieve you when you sin, not just when you get caught. But so often we're more worried about the consequences. And here's what I want you to know, that when we are more worried about the consequences than our heart, here's what that reveals to you, without exception, that reveals that you've been worshiping yourself. That your greatest sin was not even the action you're worried about being caught of. Your greatest sin is holding yourself as more important than God. That's what's most offensive to God. When you have considered your preferences, your desires, your way of life as more important than the way God has for you, that's what is offensive against God. Not the action you're so scared of being caught. He was fearful that the very sin of vengeance in which he killed his brother would come back to kill him. Think about that. It was the sin of vengeance and anger in which he killed his brother. And what is his fear before God? Your punishment is so great, I can't take it. Somebody might kill me. Somebody might do to me what I did to my brother. It is so often our own sin that destroys us. Sin is crouching at the door. But master it. Repent and turn to God. Worship Him more than you worship yourself. Have faith in Him. Depend fully on Him. But God shows a scandalous grace by protecting Him by this very offense that He was guilty of. God tells, in God's great love and God's redemptive love, He tells Cain, Don't worry. I'm not going to let anybody do to you what you did to your brother. I won't. Has Cain done anything to deserve that? He's not even repentant. Why do we discard God's love so often and we treat him as a taskmaster? It is his love that should guide us. It is his love and his kindness that leads us to repentance. But, unfortunately, in our history of man, it is here that man, created in God's image, begins his journey on this earth out of the presence of God. See, God hadn't fully removed his presence. Even though they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, he hadn't fully removed his presence. But it says that Cain left the presence of God and he went to Nod, which just means wandering, which basically, Cain just ended up wandering in the desert where he could no longer farm. 
our sin is crouching at the door and it wants to destroy us. And listen, it will destroy you by distancing you from God. If the ultimate good, if the ultimate worship is is leaning in on God, leaning into the presence of God, being completely dependent upon Him and and our faith upon Him, then the greatest consequence of our sin is a separation from that God that loves us. Understand that when we talk about following Christ, we are not talking about a list of rules. We are not talking about a religion. We are not talking about are you good, are you bad. We are not talking about can we fill a church with people. We are not talking about any of those things. We are talking about a deep and meaningful, dependent relationship upon God or complete separation from Him. Those are the two options. God desires for you to dwell in Him, make your home in Him and His Word. But yet we so easily get distracted and understand that those are the two pendulum swings and there is no in-between, that the, the greatest thing about heaven isn't any sort of gold streets or mansions or anything like that. It's being in the unfiltered presence of God. The, great, the worst thing about hell isn't fire or gnashing of teeth or any of those things. It's being separated from the presence of a loving God. So Cain leaves the presence of God. And what I'm so fearful of is so many of you will do the same. And sometimes in the name of religion. Understand. The thing that Cain ultimately had to repent of wasn't even murdering his brother. It was of worshiping himself. Hebrews 11. We talked about verse 4. I want to read the first three verses and then 4. Now faith, because it's faith that made Abel's offering acceptable. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. For the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old receive their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Through which he was commended. As righteous. Abel's faith speaks beyond the grave. But here's the really good news. Jesus didn't even stay in the grave. He is risen. He is risen. Jesus' blood was spilled in vengeance. Just like Cain's was. And jealousy and ang- I mean Abel's, just like in anger, jealousy and anger, just like Abel's was. But the difference is Abel's death speaks beyond the grave, but Jesus himself defeated the grave. And in his resurrection, he is resurrecting us. That's why his blood speaks such a better word. See, think about it. In this hall of faith of Hebrews 11, where it starts to list out all these incredible stories out of the Old Testament, it starts with Abel. And not just because it's chronological, but it starts with Abel because it begins with this idea of the first death for the sake of righteousness. And that speaks beyond the grave. But Hebrews 12, 24 
says Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So we look at the story of Cain and Abel and we see so much about how sin wants to destroy us and how sin will destroy those around us. And in his blood, he speaks beyond the grave. But the author of Hebrews wants us to know that all of that is for us to look to the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus speaks a better word over us. Our sin will call for blood. Your sin calls for your blood. At the end of this whole thing, if you want your good to outweigh the bad, I'm here to tell you the bad news is your good will not outweigh the bad. If if there is a scale of righteousness when you die, I can assure you, you will fall on the side of unrighteousness. I'm not going to even have to list your sins. You only have to ask yourself one question. Have I ever worshipped myself instead of God? That is an act of treason against the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the punishment is death and eternal separation. Your sin calls for blood. When you see somebody do some horrendous horrible act, instead of separating yourself from that person and thinking, how could they do that? Take that moment to recognize, but by the grace of God, there go I. I'm not better than that person. Understand, there is no single person on this earth that you stand better than. But in the blood of Jesus, we stand righteous before God. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than anyone or anything can speak. The world wants to define your identity, but Jesus' blood speaks a better word over you in his rich love and mercy. The world wants to put you into the bondage of sin. Sin is crouching at the door, and hear me clearly, sin desires to destroy you. But Jesus' blood speaks a better word over you and the freedom you have in Christ. The world sells you lies about success and money and what is important and what will bring security and what will give you that. But Jesus' blood speaks a better word in an inheritance as adopted children into his family. Your sin calls for the condemnation of your soul, but Jesus' blood speaks a better word and says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that it's all washed away. You may be telling yourself just how dirty you are, how unclean, how unusable, that God can't use you. Jesus' blood speaks a better word over you as an ambassador for him as a minister of reconciliation. Your heart and your mind may be telling you that your marriage is over. Jesus' blood can speak a better word over that. You may be in a hopeless situation and you don't know how you're going to make it to the next day. You don't know. You're so glad we have lunch today because you honestly didn't know if you were going to get to eat today. Jesus' blood speaks a better word over that as he is our provider. 
that if we pursue first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that he'll take care of us. Not make you wealthy, not make you rich, not give you necessarily abundance. But if you lean yourself like a trust fall completely at the feet of Jesus, he will catch you every single time. There may be suffering, you may get bruises. Most likely it will not be as comfortable and fun as a process as just chasing the world. But the world will take you on that fun road all the way to destruction. Jesus' blood speaks a better word of a peace that rules your heart no matter the circumstances, a contentment that only Jesus can give. That no matter what the world throws at you, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, you find your strength in the blood of Jesus Christ, the resurrected king, the wounded victor prophesied in Genesis 3. That none of this surprised him. Whatever's taken over your mind right now, it doesn't surprise him. His blood speaks a better word. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at the story of Cain and Abel, and we see the devastation of sin as it is crouching at the door to destroy us, Lord, let us in faith turn to you. Lord, I pray that today we would repent of worshiping things that aren't you. Lord, we'd realize that it's your blood that will provide for us. It is your resurrection that gives it power. That there is nothing that you can't handle. And Lord, so whatever struggles we're dealing with, Lord, let us lay them down at your feet this morning. Lord, if there are those who have never trusted you as, as their Savior, Lord, that today they would do so. Lord, if there are your children here, and I know there are, I know, Lord, myself, there are things I'm still clinging to. Lord, that you would let us open our hands and worship you with open hands, not holding on to anything as our own, but trusting entirely in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.